Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. That nearly 250 years ago gave birth to a special place called America. It was a small cluster of colonies caught between a great ocean and a vast wilderness. It was home to an incredible people with a revolutionary idea that they could rule themselves, that they could chart their own destiny, and that together they could light up the entire world. Hello, friends. Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to Praying for America. We are in Holy Week. We want to focus on the passion of our Lord and also give some commentary on events related to our nation and its future, its values, its elections, the midterms of 2022, and the role, of course, of President Trump in all of this. These are the things we talk about on this program. We immerse the current events of America into our prayers and into the Word of God. So we're glad to welcome you as patriots, as disciples of Christ, as lovers of America. And uh, let's turn to the Word now. Uh, We've been reading from uh, various parts of the Passion Narratives as we get closer to, uh, to Good Friday. And uh, 19, uh, John uh, John chapter 19, uh, begins in the following way. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him scourged. And the soldiers wove a crown out of thorns and placed it on his head and clothed him in a purple cloak. And they came to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him repeatedly. Once more Pilate went out and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple cloak. And he said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the guards saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this statement, he became even more afraid, and went back into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Jesus did not answer him. So Pilate said to him, Do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you? and I have power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me at all if it had not been given to you from above. For this reason, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Consequently, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release him, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself a king becomes Caesar's rival. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out 
and seated him on the judge's bench in the plain called Stone Pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was preparation day for Passover, and it was about noon. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. Let us pray. Lord God, we, your people, come again to the cross because we know there we discover the revelation of the love that you have for us. We discover there the very meaning of life, that it finds its fulfillment, its purpose, when we give it away for others. And we know furthermore, Lord, that reading about the crucifixion, coming to the cross, remembering the events that occurred, and thinking about them is not simply referring us to a past event. It is immersing us in a present event, our own transformation in Christ. The power you give us today to do what Jesus did in giving his life for those he loves. Father, you give us this power today through our baptism into Christ, through the new life by which we share your very nature. You give us today the opportunity to be immersed in this paschal mystery of the death and rising of Christ. Enable us in these holy days, Lord, to not simply recall, but to live these events, to let them shape our lives and to allow ourselves to take hold of the gift of life eternal. We pray through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is condemned through lies and contradictory charges. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be an earthly king. They don't know what to say. Uh, on the one hand, they resent being ruled over, or controlled by the Romans who are collecting their taxes. On the other hand, they claim, we have no king but Caesar. The whole thing is a, is a web of lies and contradictions by which they lead Jesus to the cross. And isn't it ironic how Pilate says to Jesus, I have the power to release you. Does he really? Because the account in the Gospels keeps saying he was trying to release him. He wanted to release him. He told the crowd that he wanted to release him. And yet he couldn't. Because they were insisting that he be crucified, that they be granted the release of Barabbas instead. The haters were insisting that he be canceled. This is what, what happened on Good Friday. The haters, through a web of lies, insisted that Jesus be canceled, that his preaching be stopped because his message was dangerous. As they accused him before Pilate and the other authorities, this man, by his teaching, has upset everyone 
in our country. By his teaching, he has violated our precepts. By his teaching, he has misled many people. And so they make up false lies about him. And they put pressure on Pilate that Pilate apparently could not resist. He knew what was right. And instead, caved into the pressures of the crowd and did what he knew was unjustified. I find no guilt in him, Pilate insisted again and again. And if you follow due process, you will find no guilt in those for whom there is no evidence of guilt. But if you throw due process out the window, and haven't we seen this many times in the recent history of our country, if you throw due process out the window, well, then you can throw innocence out the window and you can find guilt where it isn't. The tactics of the enemy are the same. The tactics used by those who wanted Jesus off the scene are used in today's cancel culture against anyone that they want off the scene. Same old tired web of lies, political pressures, and cancel culture. What we're going into now, brothers and sisters, are the most sacred days of the year. We take time and we meditate on what it means that Jesus was crucified. Something which, as we reflected on yesterday, he does freely. It's a manifestation of love. It's the cross, a place of death, leading to life. Think for a moment about the ways that the events of Good Friday are leading to life. He's on the cross, and yet he says to the good thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Here's a dying man able to open up paradise to another dying man. That dying man must be something more than a man. He's the son of God, but through his death, he brings life. Today you will be with me in paradise. He forgives sin. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's a victim nailed to a cross, and yet he is overseeing with divine authority the whole situation and declaring the forgiveness of sins. He is causing the, even in his death, the centurion, the soldier who pierces Jesus' side with a lance, to immediately cry out, Surely this was an innocent man. Indeed, this was the Son of God. And the crowd goes away, Luke's Gospel tells us, beating their breasts. The whole crowd is in a mode of repentance, life-giving repentance. And in Matthew's account of the crucifixion, we read there was an earthquake, boulders split, tombs opened, and many rose from the dead that very day. And they appeared to others in the city. They rose from the dead. 
Scripture is telling us the earthquake is a sign, brothers and sisters, of the day of the Lord. In other words, that God's intervention in human history to celebrate the era of darkness and sin from the era of God's reign and the, and the victory of life and truth and justice. So Good Friday brings about the day of the Lord, a new kingdom of God, a new humanity, where now our sins are canceled, our death is destroyed, we are able to be children of God. And so tombs open up. On the day of the death of Jesus, people rise from the dead. We have here life coming from death. Life overcoming death. Jesus' crucifixion is a fulfillment of what God told Moses to do in the desert. Remember when the people were grumbling and complaining. And serpents were biting them so that they died. They begged the Lord and Moses, take away the serpents from us. And what does Moses do? On God's command, he creates a, a bronze serpent and puts it on a pole. Appearance of a serpent, appearance of a poisonous animal, but having no real poison in it. So Jesus is crucified between two thieves. He appears as a criminal, but there is no poison in him. There is no sin in him. And just as that bronze serpent becomes now the source of life for the people, so that being bit by the serpents, they do not die, but they recover. So now the fulfillment of that scripture in one who looked like a criminal but had no poison in him saves the rest of us from the poison of sin that leads to death. The one who dies brings us life. The tool of condemnation, the cross, becomes the tree of life. The wood of the cross to which Jesus is nailed becomes the fulfillment of the wood, the staff by which Moses struck the rock and made water flow from it. Or put the, the, the piece of wood in the water that was bitter at Marah and made it drinkable again. And the prophet Elisha, a similar incident happened when the water of a particular place was bitter and he put a twig in it and the water became clean again. It's all a prophecy of the wood of the cross. It's all a prophecy of the events of Good Friday. It's all a prophecy of how God gives birth to a people on that cross, the people of life. So this is what we celebrate as we ponder. It's good in these days to read the passion accounts from the scriptures. We have them in all four gospels. Take some time during these days to read the accounts of the arrest in the garden, the trial and interrogation of Jesus, his nailing to the cross, carrying the cross, nailed to the cross, his death and his resurrection. This is the weekend coming up now that we celebrate these things in a profound way, in a 
in a in a massive worldwide celebration of the central events of human history, the central events of salvation history. Then on on Saturday, we sit by the tomb, as it were. The church reflects on all of this and waits in joyful hope for the resurrection. That Saturday represents our our lives, right? Because we're in the period between the crucifixion of Christ and his second coming. We're in the period where still we must die and be buried. So many are in the tombs. The period between their lives and the resurrection of the dead when Christ comes back. It's a holy Saturday. It's a time when we're meditating by the tomb on the fact that at its very core, the power of death has already been overcome. But that victory of life is still unfolding. It is still, as it were, flowing through the world and reaching everyone that it has to reach. And that victory is reaching people this weekend who will be receiving baptism, professing faith in Christ in churches throughout the world. So many churches celebrate baptism precisely on Easter weekend. People have been preparing all year long for entering into the new life of Christ by baptism. Again, that victory of life is unfolding. It's more and more people are being brought into it and incorporated into the new humanity, the body of Christ. Then we have Easter itself. You know, Easter is not just just about Jesus rising from the dead. It's about you and me sharing his victory. It's about us rising from the dead. First of all, the resurrection is physical. What we're going to celebrate on Sunday is not simply that the memory of Jesus was kept alive or that the spirit of Jesus was sent throughout the world or that churches were built in his honor. What we're going to remember, what we're going to celebrate is a physical resurrection. That the very body that was conceived in the womb of Mary and brought forth on Christmas, that the very body which carried the cross and was nailed to it and laid in the tomb was up again, moving around and strong. The very muscles that were exhausted from carrying the cross were strong again. The, The lungs that breathed forth his spirit upon the cross were breathing again that Jesus was physically alive, walked out of his own tomb. Remember on Easter morning, the Apostles went there, and there they saw the burial cloths and the, the wrappings of the uh, around the head off in a separate place. Jesus getting up, taking that face wrapping off. A physical resurrection is what we're celebrating. And Scripture says it's, that's the foundation of the Christian faith. But we're not just celebrating that Jesus rose. We're celebrating the fact that he rose for us. He didn't need to do this for himself because he was already in glory from all eternity. He was the Son of God. God has life in and of himself infinitely. So he doesn't, God doesn't have to gain life 
by any by any means. He becomes human in order to take us into life that never ends. So in Easter, we're celebrating our resurrection by our union with Christ. Paul saying that Christ who has died now lives in you. You have died with him. And therefore, spiritually, you have already been raised up with him. So he's living within us, the living Christ. We still must physically die, but now that death becomes an entrance into the life of Christ. This is what we're celebrating. Brothers and sisters, it's the reality, it's the center of the Christian gospel. And on Easter, we proclaim Christ is risen as a cry of victory against all the forces of evil. Death is one fruit of the forces of evil, but when we proclaim the resurrection of Christ, in saying that death has been overcome, we're using that as a way of saying something bigger, that all the forces of evil, of falsehood, of injustice, are indeed overcome in Christ. So you see how that intersects with the concerns we have today as Americans. And that which fuels our praying for America. That so many evils that are destroying our country, so many evils that are threatening us, the lies that people launch against us just as they launched against Christ. The efforts of people to cancel us just as they did to Christ have been conquered. When we say Christ is risen, we are saying Jesus came out of the tomb. We are saying not just did he destroy his death, he destroyed ours. We are saying he overturned the entire kingdom of death. When we say Christ is risen, we are saying that life has risen victorious over death for him, for us, for all people, born and unborn. We're saying abortion has been overcome at its root, its power. We're saying all kinds of violence have been overcome. Peace has risen over violence. We proclaim that Christ is risen and we say truth has risen over falsehood. We proclaim Christ is risen and we are saying justice has risen over injustice. We proclaim Christ is risen and we are saying unity has risen over division. This is what we are saying. Peace and security have risen over disorder, chaos, and danger. And for America, for America, because we stand on values no other than the gospel. And we are saying, therefore, that freedom has risen over tyranny. That the truth about God as our creator and the inalienable rights that he gives us as his people, all this has risen over an oppression of people by governments that care nothing about serving them, but only about their own power. And they manifest themselves today around the world, and they manifest themselves here in America. 
we are saying that goodness has risen over evil. And we're not just making Easter into some kind of conceptual statement. No, remember, we're rooting it all in the actual physical resurrection of Christ. Some people can just make Easter symbolic. Oh, yes, you know, goodness is going to win out over evil. No, we're saying goodness really does win out over evil because that was an actual event whereby the creator of all that is good underwent death, literally physically rose from the dead, and is taking the whole universe with him. Now, people can still reject that. And then they lose out. But we are proclaiming it as an urgent invitation to all people to take hold of this new life in Christ. Well, friends, I want to give you... Uh, so I want I, so I want to give you, first of all, the, the, the best wishes of all of us at, at Priests for Life for these coming days. Again, meditate on the passion of Christ. Spend time in the scriptures. Uh, spend time reflecting on how all of this intersects with your, your patriotism, with your love, and with your efforts for the country, with your efforts for the elections. And then, in regard to the elections, I wanted to point out and make sure that you uh, look up the, uh, the uh, editorial from yesterday on the Fox News uh, website by Newt Gingrich. It's really a good one talking about the Democrats' 2022 midterm election scare tactics. And Newt says uh, this desperate move won't save them. Uh, he talks about how, uh, you know, if they're going to try to overcome the political winds that are very much against them for these midterm elections, the Democrats are going to have to get their base very, very scared. And he talks about this effort that uh, uh, th that that many of them are trying to use is to link everything to to President Trump, and that's to yell Trump, be afraid, be very afraid, and they do this in a wide variety of ways, as we know. And unfortunately, Newt Gingrich says this will work work this will work with the hardcore Democrat partisan base whose members are going to vote anyway. Unfortunately for the Democrats, he says, that base is only 35% of the electorate. There are also nominal Democrats, but they won't be scared by this approach. So Newt analyzes this. And let me read a couple of paragraphs from this. First of all, it didn't work with Virginia uh, former Governor Terry McAuliffe. He tried scare tactics by trying to link Youngkin with Trump, and it failed miserably, he says. Yelling Trump, he says, does not switch votes from people who pay more than $90 to fill their gas tanks. It doesn't move people who find the price of groceries skyrocketing, and it definitely doesn't inspire those who worry about getting mugged, carjacked, raped, or murdered. Yelling Trump does not work if 18,000 people are illegally crossing the border each day and straining American resources. This is the equivalent, by the way, of adding a city larger than Atlanta each month. Yelling Trump does not regain the votes of parents and grandparents infuriated by the radical sexual politics and brainwashing that serves as education in unionized public schools. And he goes on to talk about the fact that either they try these extreme scare tactics and continue to try to 
demonize uh, President Trump. And yeah, this isn't that kind of a reflection of, again, as I said earlier, I'm reading this story of the passion of Christ, what we might call the canceling of Christ, uh, reflects those same old tactics, even of those who were opponents of Jesus. Either they go that route, or they commit ideological suicide, Newt Gingrich calls it. And uh, let me read the final paragraphs of this op-ed. Again, I, I refer you to the Fox News website to get, uh, to get the full article. He says, if the 2022 election were important enough, he, Biden, would have to reverse his energy policies to produce American oil and gas, reverse his immigration policy to gain control of the border, reduce spending and regulations to get inflation under control, take on the more extreme woke elements, especially in the schools, and become aggressively pro-victim and anti-criminal. Those changes would work with most Americans, but they would lead to a vicious civil war in the Democratic Party. So the only strategy that might work is a strategy Democrats cannot tolerate. And then he goes on to say, they would rather lose than give up on their big government socialist ideology and woke values, and they will lose. Newt Gingrich, check out the opinion piece, again issued just yesterday. So friends, blessed Holy Week. Uh, we'll uh, be back with more more tomorrow night, and, uh, and then we'll... Uh, break for the Easter weekend. Let's turn back to prayer. Father, we thank you for all that you have given us in this country and in our faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for us. We gather up and we bring to the cross all the intentions being articulated in the comments, all the prayer needs of all our friends and, uh, and families and, and all those that we work and worship with. And Lord, we ask you, bless America. We pray for America. We pray for President Trump and his family and associates. We pray for all those running in the midterm elections to make America great again. And we ask, Lord, your blessing on us and on the work that in your providence you give each of us to do. We bring all these intentions together as we offer the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Follow me on social media at FR Frank Pavone. Follow Right Side Broadcasting at RSB Network. Continue to spread the word about this program. Thanks for watching, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.
follow him, Father Frank Pavone, F.R. Frank Pavone, on Twitter. He is the National Director of Priests for Life. Please go to priestsforlife.org. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.